Inspired by true events. I'm Heather, married to Brian, mother to Zoe. Hi, I'm Brian, married to Heather, father to Zoe. And I'm Zoe, daughter to Brian and Heather. I'm going to cut this part out because I need to make my screen smaller so that I can see my whole family while I'm talking to them. <laughs> I always just look at my notes. You, you have to see our faces while you're also reading your notes? No, I have my notes in yeah. a very small square in between I all need, of our faces. I need to be able to look at it. Dad doesn't care about looking at us. No, okay. not even. Wow. wow. Weird. Not only do I want to look at your and Zoe's face, I also want to look at my face sometimes. Your face looks nice. So, thank oh. you. Okay. It's not my best angle, but it's Wait, fine. You it's think just, you guys. slightly below looking up worst. at your chin is not the best angle? No. This but, is the best angle. Ah, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're talking about the 2017 Disney animated film Moana which takes place somewhere in the Polynesian Triangle that is a triangle created by connecting Hawaii New Zealand and Easter Island and some of the islands inside the Polynesian Triangle that you might have heard of are Samoa Tonga the Cook Islands Tahiti Bora Bora and Tuvalu so my true history I'm going to start back a little ways and work my way forward um Human society in Polynesia can be traced in 900 BCE oh, we're in going Tonga. Way, way back. <laughs> Pretty far back. Um, in Tonga, Samoa, and Fiji, the oldest things that they were able to trace was 900 BCE. The Polynesian people used wayfinding, which they illustrate um, in Moana when she goes out and learns from Maui how to follow the stars and everything to, to navigate. It's called wayfinding. And the Polynesian people use wayfinding to navigate thousands of miles in a canoe to these small islands in the vast Pacific Ocean. So they were coming originally from the area around Taiwan and somehow finding these little tiny islands in this huge blue ocean and not only finding it, but then going back and forth, back and forth to bring people and to, to populate these islands. Um, wayfinding was passed down as an oral tradition and what they, th it's thought to use the stars, weather, bird flight patterns, the direction of swells in the ocean, sea turtle migrations, the color of the sea and the sky, how clouds might cluster around an island and things like that to navigate through the ocean because they didn't really, there was nothing else. And this is like basically using Stone Age technology level canoes. Then there was a gap and it's called the long pause of a thousand years before the people in Western Polynesia voyaged out again on their boats to populate the other islands in the Polynesian Triangle. And that was like the Cook Islands, Hawaii, New Zealand, and Easter Island. But after the long pause, once they actually started voyaging again, they discovered and settled nearly every inhabitable island in the central and eastern Pacific Ocean within a century or so. So there was this long pause of a thousand years. And then once that ended, for whatever reason, they went out and went to pretty much every single island and started populations there. There's a lot of debate 
as to why there was this long pause and why the Polynesian people started voyaging again. Like, they don't know why it stopped. They don't know why it started. So Moana's kind of like right telling that story that right it was it's kind of at the end of the long pause that moana the movie takes place i think in the movie i didn't have a sense that any of this really i just knew like well we were not traveling any we were not voyaging anymore and then we start but i didn't have a sense that it was like a thousand years and that it was all of the polynesian people that were in samoa and tonga like i didn't know that how historical it was it didn't it didn't occur to me I figured they're telling a story and they set it on an unnamed island and they're involving the mythology and this and that and they're writing a story. It didn't occur to me that that story is itself a myth to explain something that we don't know, which a lot of myths try to do. Right. Yeah. Moana takes place when the long pause ends, basically. It's their story for that. And the audience gets to learn about this history of ocean voyaging and wayfinding as well as some other um, cultural aspects of the Polynesian people. So if you've seen Moana, which I hope you have, and if you haven't, you know, gosh, Spoiler it's great. <laughs> it's great. Uh, you may remember that Moana leaves her island because like a darkness is coming in and it's killing off the fish. And then eventually I think it even gets into the trees and stuff like that. It's like, and it, she has to find out like what's happening. Won't someone consider the coconut? <laughs> and that could have been based on one of the theories about why the long pause ended. And one of the theories is that there might have been a toxic algae bloom that started killing off all the fish. And then so they were forced to sail away to find new places where the algae bloom wasn't happening. So that's kind of the creators of Moana might have been like, oh, let's pick one of these and then make it more like a magical Magical, supernatural. Sure. So... They might have heard of this story through a group that they had assembled called the Oceanic Story Trust. It's written that this group included anthropologists, academics, educators, linguists, master navigators, and cultural advisors, and that they were leaned on to advise about the culture and history to help make the final film feel authentic and believable within the world that was created. One of the Polynesian traditions that the Oceanic Story Trust consulted on um, was the tradition of Polynesian tattoos. So Zoe, do you know that the word tattoo is a Polynesian word? I did not know that. No, I do. Yeah, it's an onomatopoeia for the sound of the stick hitting the oh. comb into the skin of the person being tattooed. As they hit it, it goes, tattoo, tattoo. <laughs> no, because I, I saw that in the movie. I don't know if I'd ever before the movie seen the visual of like someone giving a tattoo like that, um, but it totally makes sense that like, you know, we haven't... Humans haven't had tattoo guns for very long. (laughs) Right, right. So there isn't just one Polynesian tradition of tattooing. Each island has their own specific and very meaningful tattoo traditions. All of Polynesia has some shared culture that's like language, culture, their their beliefs, and the concept of tattooing. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar, but there's also specific differences for each uh, island that are unique. In general, tattoos indicate can indicate your status, that you've achieved sexual maturity, what your genealogy is, your rank in society. And for ancient Polynesian people, nearly everyone had a tattoo, all adults. And that's what I'm going to be talking about because you actually do see that Moana's father has tattoos. Her grandmother has this beautiful stingray tattoo that's Mm -hmm. very important to the story. And Maui, the demigod, also has tattoos. 
And I wanted to talk about the true um, story behind these tattoos in Polynesian culture. So ancient Polynesian people, they had a belief in something called mana, which is like life force or your essence. They believed that tattoo artists had some control over mana. Mana kind of is like influences what you're good at and how good you are at it. It's like your power kind of. In role-playing games, it's like you have strength, life that you can expend and strength. And then mana is like points that you can put towards spells and other kinds of things like that. Yeah, it's like like your personal power. Yeah, I think probably a lot of people know about mana through through Magic the Gathering, at least all my... (laughs) friends that were boys when I was 13 years old and and I well I don't know I don't know how magic talked about mana or not but it for the Polynesian people it was in natural objects and it was in people mm-hmm. and some people actually had like were considered to have more mana than other people but you could accumulate mana by going through rituals and tattooing was one of the rituals that could that could give you more mana and could also help like direct your your mana. That's so lovely. tattoo artists were thought to have some control over this. And so there was a whole ritual to like tattooing you and they had to say, like they weren't just putting down ink. They There was like symbolism and rituals as you were getting your tattoo that imbued you with this power, your, your mana while you were getting the tattoo. So it's, it's actually a very sacred um, experience that all Polynesian people were doing. And one of the things that I, I really learned a lot about this concept of mana and, and another force that kind of um, complements it, which is called tapu, which is where we get the word taboo. Oh. Right. T- tattoo and taboo are both Polynesian words that were brought back by Captain James Cook, who sailed and, and found the Polynesian islands for England. Found them to England. They were already found to the people who lived there. So tapu is when something is so holy or sacred that there are special restrictions around it. So like a graveyard is taboo. Like right. you can't just go do whatever you want there. Right. And the way we use it now is to mean like maybe you can't talk about it or like there is a sort of, I don't know if it's now associated only with like reverence. Sometimes it's like, well, that thing is bad. So it's taboo. But I like that it came from this sense of like, that's not something that is just like lightly used. Right. Right. Um, so one example of that is in Tahiti and maybe in some other places because but I learned about this from reading about Tahiti, infants were taboo because they came out of the body and anything that came out of your body was a little bit taboo, (laughs) Um, including blood, which I'll get to as far as when you're tattooing blood, you can get raised blood on yourself. But a baby, an infant came out of your body and it was recently in contact with the divine. So it's like their sacredness was like just too much. It was like, this is too much. (laughs) Babies are taboo. We cannot, you have to go through all these rituals to kind of reduce the sacredness of the infant so that it can just be part of regular society. Hmm. And there's all these rituals over time that kind of like make it so that it can be kind of like balanced just into the normal group rather than it being this. everyone is born holy. 
Right. And like so holy that like you can't just touch it uh, willy nilly. Right. <laughs> um, so as the children in Tahiti, they matured, they eventually received a small tattoo on the inside of each arm above their elbow that, um, quote, sealed off the body from its ta- taboo state. So this tattoo signaled that like all the rituals that they had to do around it being a taboo infant were done. And now you were, you're fine. You could be, you could hang out with people. You could eat however you could go places. You're fine. You're not in any kind of taboo state anymore. But you're also not as divine anymore. Right. Right. So taboo restrictions or taboos were things that you would avoid to protect your mana. And blood was taboo. So tattooing, which produces blood, like like I said, blood gets raised up on the skin when you're doing this. It involved both mana and taboo. It was okay. a mixture of both things happening at once. And this can give you an idea of why tattooing in the Polynesian culture is just much more than decorating your body. It's considered like very sacred and very essential to their culture. So if you've seen Moana, you know that the demigod Maui, he's very tatted up and his tattoos were earned through these various exploits. And like I said, Moana's father had tattoo and tattoos and Moana's grandmother. And there was a scene that Zoe talked about with a young man getting a tattoo while he's lying on his stomach. And Moana's like sitting there holding his hand, like saying, you can do it, you know? And he's like, ah. So in that scene, which I looked at, uh, the tattoo artist was just, it was just the tattoo artist, this guy getting a tattoo in Moana. But normally the tattoo artist had helpers who would kind of like flatten the skin out so that it would be flat while they were doing their designs and who'd wipe away the blood and who basically did what, like what Moana was doing and just giving him emotional support. Um, because the pain of being stabbed with like sharpened boar's teeth dipped right. in ink over and over and over and hit with like a ma- in, with a mallet into your body over a large portion of your skin was was very painful. And there I mean, was also like that is like we have maybe they did it like that then too, but like I know people who've like gotten tattoos who have to like do it in rounds and sessions right. on oh, many yeah. days. And that's not even for like that's for what we think of as bigger tattoos, but that's not like even across their whole body or anything. Yeah, a tattooing session would go from dawn until dusk and last for five sessions spread out over 10 days. Wow. Yeah, well, think about the the buzzing, just the sound of when we do a tattoo. Uh, Were you there when your mom got her tattoo? I was, yeah. Okay, so listen to the, the buzzing sound, if you can remember that, the frequency of the tzzz, each one of those in the frequency is a piercing by the needle. So now imagine, many. now imagine that instead of that tool that does it uh, however many times per second, uh, you've got a boar's tooth and something that they're tapping it is maybe three times a second, and so it's going to be like like ten times as long three three times a second instead of say thirty. Right, and these boar tooths. Things they they were like combs kind of so they had multiple points. Okay, so okay. that helps. Um, but and there was also different sizes depending on if you needed a thick line or a thin line or points. They had a variety of different tools that they That's used. Very cool. But yes, the tattoos would take up a significant portion of their skin depending on what island they're from. So for S- Samoan people, the tattoos went from their belly button all the way down to just below the knee. Mm-hmm. It was like pants basically. Yeah. So sometimes 
these tattoos would take weeks or even a few months, depending on how much tattooing they were getting done. But then once it was over, there would be this big celebration to honor like the person's courage and the endurance of getting through this. And then before the celebration, there would be rituals that would remove the taboo state from the person who had been tattooed. Mm -hmm. Because while you were getting tattooed, you were in a taboo state. And in Maori, because of the blood and just because it's a sacred thing you're doing. So you become taboo because you're in the sacred state. And in New Zealand with the Maori, um, you couldn't like touch food. So there'd be people there who would feed you while you were getting the tattoo because while you're getting it, you couldn't touch food and then ingest it because then you would be putting taboo mm. stuff into your into your body. So it took a few months for the tattooed skin to heal and the their family of the tattooed person would wash it with salt water and massage it. And they would help you with walking or sitting because the inflamed skin would be so painful that any movement at all. I mean, think about it, you're getting your whole waist, your legs, right. even your scrotum in some of these places were getting tattooed. Like it was a whole fucking, it was a lot. <laughs> and someone has to stretch the, the skin. Yes, it was a lot. It's a lot. Um, and it would take like six months before you could really see even the design because it would, you'd be so, your skin would be so inflamed and it would take like a year before it was fully healed. Well, fucking badass. You know, I, it is badass. (laughs) I think that I prefer the way we do it now. Yeah. If I were to get one, I would do it the way we do it now. Where you don't do all of it. You don't do your pants or. (laughs) You're not going to get. What do you mean full... the way you do it now? Where you I have think a gun? With, means the with the machine and, rather okay, than yeah, and maybe antibiotics if you get infected. Well, or I just topical antibiotics. Well, you don't have to do it. It's not your culture. That's true. It's I the Polynesian. Say... My culture actually forbids it. It's yeah. taboo. <laughs> yeah, it's oh. taboo for Jews to get. Well, um, well, I would love to get a tattoo someday. I. I do really love the thing. I feel that for like pierced ears too, where it's this some sort of sense of like going through pain for something awesome kind of enhances it in some way. I think that's the also some of like the the magic or the the spirituality around it. I can understand because it's like you're you're altering your body in this permanent way, but it also like it takes time, it takes ritual, and it takes pain. But then like it's something you've gone through. It's not just like, oh, I drew this thing on myself. It's like a whole a whole to do that really feels like maybe like you earned having it. I think I think for some people, um, that is how they do take it seriously. I think for some people, it is just right. putting a picture on your body that you're into. I think, um, but for the Polynesian people, it was very like culturally important right. in this huge way. Right. Um, as I said, uh, in Tonga, warriors were tattooed from their waist to their knees and they used geometrical patterns and areas of solid black. Okay. Um, in Samoa, it said um, the tattooed artist was an inherited position. So like from father to son to son. And the um, the tattoos also were at the waist and extended below the knees. And Samoan women were also tattooed often on the hands or the lower parts of their body with geometrical flower-like patterns. But when, when Christian missionaries came to Tonga, 
they were they banned the practice of tattooing and the Tongan art of tattooing was pretty much lost. Oh, wow. Really? But just the Samoan ruining everything always. Yeah, I mean, but the Samoan tradition has been unbroken over 2000 years. Oh, wow. And the tools and the techniques are almost exactly the same and the skill has been passed on from father to son and they were they managed to keep it going um where in a lot of the other Polynesian islands they did not. Um in Tahiti tattooing generally began in adolescence and would take a number of years to complete and boys and girls both got tattoos when they passed into sexual maturity all the symbols in Tahitian tattoos are based on the four elements and the symbols mean something different depending on what kind of person it's on so like if a fish on a warrior or a fisherman would mean different things okay and the tattoo artist is able to represent the person's genealogy and rank and things like that with these symbols. Tahiti was one of the places that pretty much lost the art, but then they were able to, with research and scholars and, and drawings and stuff, able to go back and try to find it again and figure out what it was. Well, that's good. Yeah. Because the art of tattoo was really central to Tahitian culture, in the face of missionaries kind of trying to suppress tattooing, the Tahitian people had tattoo rebellions in the early to mid 19th century to kind of assert their serenity and to like keep their old ways. And the leaders of this uh, tattoo rebellions were comprised of an elite social group of bards, poets, tribal historians, and priests who were dedicated to Oro, the god of war. I'm a fuck yeah. And they would travel around Tahiti asking for offerings for the purpose of mounting large festivals to honor their patron deity, Oro. And they were infamous for their, quote, promiscuously flamboyant and bacchanalian pursuits Uh and their rigid adherence to traditional practices like tattooing. Um, I love these guys. Can we be friends? <laughs> they are. They sound awesome, right? Well, the British missionary oh. Ellis, writing in 1830, reported, The simple act of tattooing or marking the skin was in itself no breach of the peace, but it was connected to their former idolatry and always attended with practices of abominable vices. And on this account, it was prohibited. So they prohibited by tattooing the word criminal on people's faces and hands if they got tattoos or flaying the skin off where they had a tattoo. Or on one island, they would they dug two deep pits, 15 feet deep, and then they put a woman in one who had gotten tattooed and the tattoo artist in the other pit. And they just left them to die in these pits. Wow. The Maori culture, the facial tattoos was were the most significant. Only those with the highest social standing would get the facial tattoos. They're called moko, and they're made by hitting a wooden chisel made from albatross or whalebone, and they hit it with a mallet, and it creates grooves in the skin. So it's not just a tattoo. It's actually groove scars. And th- they really like sp- the spiral shape, and so these different mm-hmm. spiral shapes could also... They weren't just beautiful shapes. They were, again, showing your accomplishments, your rank, your ancestry, your marital status, like all this socially relevant information on the spirals that were carved into your skin. And women could also get moco on their chins, usually their lips or their nostrils. And then they had pigments that they would rub into it 
the color of the pigment was unique to each family. And they kept it in these special ornately carved vessels called oko. And the oko was handed down within a family because they believed that the mana of the previous generation could be transferred to the next generation by using the same pigment when they could. Wow. It's like an ancestral thing. It's very beautiful if you look at it. And it was considered like so profoundly sacred that some of the more prominent people who had moko um, tattoos, their heads would be preserved after death and kept in these ornate boxes by their family. It's called Moko Makai. And the dark side of this was that like the preserved heads would be taken as trophies in war with each other. But then they would also like use it in peace negotiations. So like, well, I'll trade you back your leader's head if you give me my leader's head. Mm -hmm. Um, And but after Europeans, white Europeans came to New Zealand, they started trading or taking some of these heads for themselves as like curiosities so then the whole um tradition just had to be banned because they're like this doesn't seem right and so they they banned it it? right why do it if it's just going to be taken right so today there's a movement to get the moko makai um repatriated to get all the the heads that are anywhere outside of new zealand back to new zealand so as i said each island had their own tattooing style And even though Christian missionaries wiped it out almost everywhere, uh, scholars and researchers went back and tried to recreate it, and they did to some extent. Um, So Hawaiian and Samoan and Tongan tattoos have repetitive geometric shapes of highly stylized designs inspired by nature, like uh, millipedes, shells, birds, and flying foxes. Flying foxes are, are very sacred. And so it's almost like you you can't necessarily look at it and say, oh, that looks like a millipede or that looks like a shell because it's it's, it's so symbolic. highly, right? It's so highly stylized, but that's what they mean. And they would often get an animal that was sacred to their family, a tattoo of that animal, and then that would like further protect you if you had the sacred animal tattooed on you. Maori tattoos like I said, use a spiral motif and Tahitian tattoos were very rounded with arches and circles. And again, all these like shapes that just look abstract to us or, or just like shapes actually had specific meanings that the tattoo artists had to learn. Mm -hmm. And then they learned all these meanings and then they also learned how to do all the rituals. So, you know, a crossover between Christian missionaries trying to stamp out the cultural practice in the Polynesian triangle over in England um, tattooing was becoming practice was starting to be practiced on white people. Didn't so that captain start with, like sailors a lot, or is yes, that just when, yes, yeah. So it it's commonly thought that Captain James Cook, who first uh, went to the Polynesian islands and brought back information of that to England, uh, he introduced tattooing to England. There had been a few people brought to England with tattoos before him. There was an Inuit woman from Labrador and an Inuit woman from the Baffin Islands, so two indigenous women from Canada and a man from the Philippines. But Cook's voyages were really popular, and the people who went on the voyages with him were like good artists and writers and stuff, and so they it really popularized everything that was happening there in the South Pacific and and brought general awareness of these practices 
Sir Joseph Banks, which was who was Cook's science officer, he was a botanist. He wrote about the tattoos extensively, and he was like, he was a sir. He was like a nobleman in society who was very popular, and he wrote about it. And people was like, oh, this is interesting. Different people on Cook's voyages, people from England, they went back and forth, and they were like, oh, I want to. They started getting tattoos, and then a Polynesian man named Omai. Um, he met Captain James Cook in 1769, and then he went with him back to England and was introduced to English society and stayed in England for two years. And they said Omai was renowned for his charm, quick wit, and good looks. <laughs> and so lots of people got to see his tattoos, um, and that made it popular as well. That's how it, tattooing became associated with sailors is because the first mm -hmm. people getting it were people who were sailing with Captain Cook. That makes sense. Um, There's also tattooing happening in different places, not just the Polynesian islands, but the word tattoo comes from the Polynesian uh, triangle. In the United States in the 1800, most tattoos were done by Polynesian or Japanese amateurs, people who like knew how it was done, but weren't raised in like officially doing it with like their father teaching them. Right. They hadn't been officially trained in their culture, but they knew how to do it. And during the Civil War, a German immigrant opened a tattoo parlor in New York, and then he ended up traveling from camp to camp and tattooing soldiers in the Civil War. And that's how it became fashionable for people in the military, service people, to get tattoos. So now we have sailors, and now we have service people, and this is the history of that. It was also fashionable for a little bit for the upper crust to get tattoos. Oh, really? So, yes, in 1862, um, Albert, the Prince of Wales later King Edward VII, he had a Jerusalem cross tattooed on his arm. And his son, Duke's, Duke Clarence and Duke of York, um, later King George V, they visited Japan in 1882, and they both got dragons tattooed on their arms. And among the Russian royal family, Peter the Great, Catherine the Great, and Nicholas II all had tattoos. Yeah, but those were tattoos of, uh, like, caviar. <laughs> Um, there was Winston Churchill's mother, Jenny, also had a tattoo of a snake coiled around her left wrist. How freaking wow. cool. And by the turn of the 20th century, roughly three-fourths of fashionable New York City ladies had gotten similarly trendy tattoos, including butterflies, flowers, and dragons. I did not know. You don't really see that in period dramas. You're, they're never like, oh, here's my tattoo. <laughs> yeah, it was like for, for during the Victorian age for a little bit, it was like, cool to have a tattoo because it was expensive right. and you had to pay a lot of money to get this tattoo and then once the cost started to come down um rich people were like meh i don't care sure. anymore <laughs> sure it's like uh it's like lobster or rabbit uh some some foods are abundant and poor people eat them, but then they're less abundant. Now they're scarce and only rich people eat them. And they're seen as Fancy. high class or low class, depending right. on when you are and how, right. how expensive they that's, are. That's very true. So in 1975 in the U.S., there were only 40 tattoo artists. Wow. And by 1980, five years later, there were more than 5,000. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. we have 40 within 40 minutes of our house. <laughs> right. I mean, I... <laughs> It's a, there's a ton now. Um, but the meaning of tattooing, this is basically what I want to get across, is that the tradition of tattooing in the U.S. or England, I don't know about every other place, and 
um, where white people live. So I'm just talking about U.S. and England because that's the information that came from this Polynesian study I was doing. Um, in Polynesia, they're considered a source of they're they're considered sacred, and like you're strengthening your life force by getting these tattoos. Um, Charles. Digerium Perez, a Tahitian documentary filmmaker, said, I got my first tattoo at my 14th birthday, and I've been adding more ever since. It's a single armband that depicts the circle of life from birth to adulthood to death to reincarnation. All my tattoos are protection signs, symbols of nature and the world around us. They're meant to help gather more mana or life energy. I had a wave shape and an arrow on my right arm to give me more power and energy flowing into my mic while performing vocals because oh. he's also a singer. Yeah, I am planning on getting a tattoo that that reminds me of. Um, at, at one point, I wrote a song and had Zoe sing it. Um, and secretly, the whole sinister plot there was to set it up so that she would sing the words, I love you. At, at certain parts in the song so that later on I could go in and take it apart and chop it up and have the waveform for my daughter singing, I love you. And what I intend to do is put that on my, on my right arm so that it reads left to right looking forward on my body. Um, and if you've seen a waveform in, uh, you know, in a computer or something, you'll see that the quiet parts are flat lines and the loud parts are squiggles that go up and down. They vary above and below the line. Uh, so the flat line would go all the way around my arm. And the squiggles where she's singing, I love you, will be on the outside of my, 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 my tricep, I suppose. Uh, so that if you were to read it forward, it would just go around forever. And, and Zoe would sing, I love you forever. I'm going to cry. really sweet. Also... You could have just asked me to say the words. You know, he loves to be <laughs> sneaky and have yeah. surprises. That whole that whole five minute song, and I, I spent all that time writing it. Was just for that. Oh, I'm sure. No other no other reason. <laughs> so sweet. Well, I know I can't with you. <laughs> so today there are also modern what's called Neo-Polynesian or Pan-Polynesian designs. Like they might include a Maori spiral or a Samoan shark tooth in the same design. Okay. okay. So they're Pan-Polynesian. And that that could have an old meaning or it might create a new meaning, just depending. Um, and also I wanted to say as an aside that Polynesian tattoos are not considered tribal tattoos. And if someone calls them tribal, that's incorrect. They don't They don't call it that. Um, the actor, The Rock, who voiced Maui in Moana, has some modern Neo or Pan-Polynesian inspired tattoos. They're not the actual, um, like traditional Polynesian tattoos, but they're, they're inspired. Um, one is on his left shoulder, uh, into his chest and forearm, and it has different design elements that pay. For those at home. Heather is uh, gesturing to her right shoulder and chest. <laughs> She's not so good with left and right sometimes. It's okay. I'm really not. <laughs> Look, I have dyslexia, and that's one of the things we found out why I'm always wrong. And I have to point it out because right. I have this thing called being a jerk. 
Oh, he's embarrassed because he was so cute a second ago. I cannot be cute. I have to be mean. Yeah, I know. I understand. (laughs) Too bad. Did you know about about how um, I won't tell you if you know, but Matt, where some of Maui's tattoos come from? Yes. Okay. We we are going to talk about that. All right. I'll let you say it. Um, I was look look. I I am gesturing to my right side, but <laughs> on the rock's left side, he has some tattoos that um have tell the story of his like Samoan roots. He has a sun on his neck that's like he says it's learning to appreciate his own journey. He has an eye on his chest that's fighting through struggles and a bunch of different symbols that are each like a chapter in a story that include like stuff about his family. And it took sixty hours over three sessions to Whoa. make this tattoo that's on his chest and wow. arm. Yeah. What? Wait, 60 hours over three sessions. He was doing 20 yep. hour sessions. <laughs> 20 hour sessions on crazy. average. But they were probably not all equal sessions. So. Okay. Look, one or more was longer than that. Maybe I either wrote down wrong because I have <laughs> dyslexia. <laughs> maybe it was six hours. I don't know. Oh, six. Oh man. I don't know anymore. <laughs> Just a lot of hours is what we're saying. 60 hours over one session. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the demigod Maui's tattoos actually play a really important role in the movie Moana. Um, so maybe now when you watch Moana, if you watch it again, if you're inspired, you'll see these tattoos in like a more important light. I don't think Disney did a great job of explaining how important tattoos are to the culture of the Polynesian people. Um, but this real practice did inspire all the tattoos on Maui and those tattoos themselves were inspired by stories about Maui. And now I'm going to hand it off to Brian. Well, thank you, Heather. You're welcome, Brian. I enjoyed your talk about tattoos. Thank you. I'm going to enjoy your talk. I'm sure. You're not sure. I'm not sure. What's it could your be talk a horrible on? talk. <laughs> Wait, cause I'm going to talk. Oh, go ahead. Well, because if you're not going to mention this one tattoo thing, I'm going to say it, which now I don't he, think you are. He is going no, to. No, I don't think or, you're going to. Here's an idea. You could wait and see. And if I don't, then mm, you can say the thing. I think I want to say my thing. But it's dad's turn. But dad's talking about the mythology, right? This is not about mythology. It's about Maui. Yeah. No. I think... <laughs> I, it's just a little bit of trivia, ahead, you guys. My ahead. whole job is just to look at IMDb trivia. Give me a break. I <laughs> Some of Maui's tattoos are based off The Rock's grandfather, who was also oh. a pro wrestler. Some of yeah. his real tattoos. That's all I wanted to say. Okay. Okay. I, I was not going to say that. I actually have clarification about that, which is that... Um, Actually, quite specifically, Maui's tattoos are hand-drawn, despite this being a computer-animated movie, and that's the first time they did that in many, many years, having any kind of hand-drawn part in a Disney movie. Wow. It's It's also the first time they've had any tattoos. Really? Yeah, even the the Pirates and Peter Pan didn't have tattoos. This is the first time they've depicted tattoos, because they didn't want to contribute to the delinquency... Of minors who are the ones. Yeah, but apparently now um, we can see that you're not delinquent. Now we're you... okay that if kids get tattoos. <laughs> well, when you're 18, you can. Sure. Yeah, Moana, right. Moana was the, the first 
one to do like hand drawn like 2D animation since like they stopped since they started doing like um that it, it'll be the fr oh gosh not since like princess and the frog so not for like over 10 years i think had they done like hand drawn oh my elements, god the princess they... and the frog is 10 years ago princess and the frog least. was princess and the frog was 2009 so a little less than, but um what is happening to my life? I know. Where I was I was like five years old when no, I was I can't do math. I was eight years old. I was eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> Not that young. I uh, hear you, dude. But like hand drawn animation is like a thing now. of the past, but I love it. And I love that they chose to just do it specifically for Maui's tattoos. Yes. I used I agree. to do gymnastics and capoeira and now I do podcasting. <laughs> yeah. I sit old. in a chair and I talk. I used to do pro wrestling. Yeah. Did you have tattoos? Not when I was pro wrestling, no. No, but now but you I have do. a tattoo now. Let's I do. Talk about the significance of that. Um, it's sure, a my tattoo. And then put the picture online. Is of a toad, and two mushrooms that look like the kind of mushrooms in a fairy tale book, and then some lavender around it. And to me, the significance of it. I, did I get it on my forty fifth birthday? I was gonna look that up. You like two years ago, yeah, that, three years that ago. Right. Was it that recent? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Um, and to me, it's it's um, about that I like witchy things, that I'm a bit of a witch. It's kind of a Baba Yaga thing, you know. Also kind of mana. Yeah, it just, that's right. It's It's about, I don't know, my childishness and my love of nature, which I think are important parts of me. That's Aww. sweet. I've always thought that... Um, you know, since the tattoo is permanent and I feel bad for all the people who like got a tattoo from like a TV show they like or something and then the TV show ended a way they didn't like and then they have that tattoo oh, yes. forever or like they have a tattoo of a celebrity. Or like who... people who named their child Khaleesi. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> Speaking of Game of Thrones. Yeah, or or just like, oh, I got a tattoo of blank actor who turned out to be a creep or whatever. Like <laughs> I would need to make sure it's something that could never go bad. Um, right. which is why I think my love of Shakespeare comes in handy because, you know, that's just old. Like we've probably found out all we're going to find. Like if Shakespeare was secretly like a horrible person, <laughs> I don't think we're going to find out now. Um, well, you do what you got to do, but I, you never know if it's a person. Well, well it, so it could turn out the toads are bad, you know, like it could turn, I could become <laughs> no, a serial killer and can't. then dad's tattoo is really going to suck. But like. I, Toads can't be bad. My tattoo is going to reference you. So, so you have to be. You can't good. go bad. Uh, yeah, I won't break bad specifically for your sake. But my issue is being an actor. It's like it should be somewhere where no one can see it. But then why would you get a tattoo if no one can ever see it? So I'll figure yeah. it out. Well, my grandfather, who was in the Navy, he had a tattoo. He had a couple of tattoos. He might have had an anchor tattoo. It, I was about to say, was it an anchor? He might have had an anchor and like the name of his ship and maybe some other ones. I don't really remember right now. Um, and my father, who was in the army, he had a he had a tattoo. And so I guess I'm just carrying on a little bit of a tradition that goes back to my grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, oh, that I'll let you but, speak. Okay, wait, I just have one Nobody's more thing. Nobody's going to let me speak. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I once knew this lady, I was getting a pedicure and this lady on her, on her breast, which were kind of right up in her face um, <laughs> and right down by my feet. They were big and As, right. They had to be big to be in your, in your face <laughs> and down by your feet. They, 
They were in her face. But anyway, they were big enough that she, really pretty big, like her boobs? the size of my hand. Wait, are you still talking about how big her boobs were? We are still talking <laughs> no. about the size of the breast no. of the woman doing her pedicure. I have to explain. <laughs> about the size of my hand, she is this tattoo is what I'm saying. Oh. She had a tattoo that was very big and it said, Randy. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> in cursive lettering. And Did you ask was, if she's ever visited England? Well, no, she it was, She said she's very rueful. And she was like, yeah, that was my ex's name. Oh, no. Never get the name of your ex tattooed. What, Nobody like, gets the name of your ex tattooed. Imagine getting the name of your ex tattooed. Never get the name of your love tattooed on your body. And she said, well, but now I just say it means I'm Randy. You know what? Go her. Girl power. But that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. You I, have to be so careful. Or don't, you know. So how big... Never mind. How big were her breasts? <laughs> big enough. She could have we a tattoo the size that. of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Brian, now you can talk. Okay. <laughs> if, you, if you're out there listening, lady with the Randy tattoo, I'm sure you're I very love you. beautiful. <laughs> you are. Okay. So I'm going to talk about Maui, and uh, uh, it's probably pronounced with uh, three syllables, Maui. Um, he was a demigod, and um, his story is amazing. His story probably contains a larger number of unique and ancient myths than that of any other legendary character in the mythology of any nation that wow. we know of ever. That's awesome. Uh, and what are you basing that on? research like that said that or yes. that you just read so many you're like this has to be the most no, of no, anybody no, no. <laughs> no i read i read analysis okay. of maui and conclusions that oh, that's uh, crazy because there's like a million stories just of zeus having sex with people <laughs> yes and i will qualify the largest number of unique and ancient myths that are a demigod right. and directly applicable to people's everyday lives Oh, okay, I see. So not he, just like Hercules. The myths of Hercules. Uh, he did, you know, all of the trials and everything. And really nothing he did benefited anybody else's life. It was just to do them. But Maui, he did all of this stuff. And the things that he did um, was of utility to the Polynesian people. The legends of Maui, they span thousands of miles uh, and are told differently in various places, following common themes. Um, and because of this, historians and anthropologists were able to trace the migration patterns of the Polynesians through the stories of Maui. Wow, uh, oh, that's cool. Where they're similar, where they're different, where we can tell like taxonomically how they branched off and recombined in places. Actually, they didn't recombine much. Um, mostly, the peoples dispersed into their islands and stayed pretty much among themselves and didn't intermix much. So you can tell that the stories are compartmentalized and, and unique to each place. Uh, so, uh, like I said, Maui's deeds uh, rank higher in class and range than any other demigod in any other religion and are of more utility. Uh, and so let's talk about some of those. Hell uh, yeah. Are you going to sing a whole song about all the things he did? No. So, um, one of the things that Maui did was bring fire to humans. And that's in a lot of 
the different mythologies, but they approach it differently. The story of how he brings the fire to humans is different wherever you go. Uh, so for, for the, uh, the Maori, uh, he, I, I should preface all of this, that, uh, that Maui is a trickster. You know, consider right. someone like, like Loki or you know, any other mythological trickster, but imagine that the trickster is also a hero. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat a mismatch between the Western concept of a trickster and the Western concept of a hero um, that makes it difficult to make a movie like Moana that's true to this combined concept that exists in Polynesian mythology uh, that doesn't mesh with the mythology that we have in the West, that it's, it's difficult to be both of those things in a Western movie. The, the, the hero and the trickster. Yes. Right. And that yeah. happens in uh, other, I mean, like the, the coyote and native, right, native, native American mythologies right. can be the like v- antagonizing in one story and totally the hero in the next, you know, it's not like clean cut. Yeah. But this isn't even a back and forth. Uh, as you'll see, Maui regularly uses his trickiness to trick gods in order to benefit humans. And the heroism is the result of being tricky. Mm. That's cool. It's like a, like it's that. not a negative trait. Right, right. Uh, so uh, he was curious. He wanted to know where fire came from. And so in order to find this out, he put out all the fires on the island. <laughs> so they have no fire. So that he has to go volunteer and ask the fire goddess Mahuika, who was his grandmother, for more fire. Mahuika lived in a cave in a burning mountain at the end of the earth, and she kept giving Maui her burning fingernails so that he, he she'd give him a finger, fingernail so that he could bring back and light fires and they'd have fire, but he kept putting them out and, had, and, and going back and saying, I need another one, and he, he put it out, and he'd go back, uh, and she got mad, and she sent fire at him, uh, but he called on the weather god Tahwiri Matea to put it out. Uh, which he did. And then she threw her last fire nail at him, but he ducked and it hit some trees. He brought the sticks from those trees back and taught the Maori how to rub those sticks together to get the fire out of them. And Um. that's how he brought fire, uh, which had been put into the tree. And that was the last of the fire of his grandmother, Mahuika. was in these sticks. And so now whenever they need fire, they have to get it out of the sticks. That's so interesting. Such a good um, story. And that usually the end, of, I mean, the, the end of these stories ends in rubbing sticks together, but it's how they got there. <laughs> right. In, uh, it's uh, like, how did humans learn to do this? Hawaiian mythology, um, they regularly had to go to volcanoes to get fire and bring it back. Uh, and that was a long walk in Maui didn't want to have to do that. And he knew of some birds who knew the secret of fire. So he captured the leader of those birds and forced him to tell. Um, and, uh, and he was informed how to rub sticks together. And he brought that back. In Samoa, Maui was also named Te'iti'i. Uh, and his father, Talaga, worked for uh, the earthquake god Mafue in the underworld. So Maui snuck in to his father's job in the underworld. And his father saw him that he had snuck in and told him to behave and be quiet. Instead of doing that, Maui went to go see Mafue to ask for fire. 
and he was given fire. But Maui used Maui built a stone oven, an umu, to cook taro using the fire, and that was forbidden. Um, Mafuea got angry because people aren't supposed to cook and blew out the fire and smashed the oven. Mafuea punished Maui by making him engage in a duel with Mafuea. Maui won the duel and broke off Mafuea's right arm and then caught the left and was going to break the left arm too. To keep Maui from breaking his remaining arm, Mafuea offered Maui a hundred wives. Maui <laughs> refused. He doesn't want a hundred wives. Mafuea offered the secret of fire. Maui accepted and learned that it was hidden inside of trees. And if you rub them together, uh, the fire comes out. And he took that up to the world. Uh, So all of these, uh, all these different versions of the story lead to the same thing, that Maui is the one that gave people both fire and the concept of cooking. Right. Uh, so another classification of story is, uh, is, is pulling up the islands from the sea, which they, they do reference in the movie about right. how he pulled up the islands from the sea. And it, in, in the movie, while I was watching it the most recent time, uh, they showed the islands being pulled up from the sea. They animate that. And it became clear to me, at least, where the myths probably came from because they're an ocean-faring people and they're sailing and discovering islands. But as they discover the islands, as they're sailing, the islands are coming up out of the sea from their perspective. And they're being raised up in front of them. They don't know the earth is round. They just know that these islands are popping up in front of them. Now, I, it may not be true, but it seems truthy. That's how you liked it. Yeah, that's yeah. how you were thinking about it. Uh, so... In the myths, uh, in the Maori myth, uh, Maui had brothers who wouldn't let him fish with them. Uh, but he stows away on their boat with his magic fish hook. Um, and then his brothers are upset with him for stowing aboard. They won't give him any bait. So he uses blood from his nose. He pricks his nose with the fish <laughs> hook and uses blood from his nose mm. as bait and pulls up the North Island of New Zealand. Or uh, the way it was phrased, he pulls up a fish that was the North Island of New Zealand, Te Ika Amaui. And in some stories, his canoe, his waka, became the South Island, uh, which is called Te Waka Amaui. Uh, in, uh, in Hawaii, again, his brothers won't let him fish, but they're maybe not as good at it. Uh, they go by themselves and they, they catch a shark. And he says, one shark, I would have caught more. Uh, and so his brothers take him out to prove that he's a better fisherman. So Maui baited his magic hook with alai birds, uh, which are sacred to his mother Hina, uh, and started pulling up islands. Um, but he told his brothers they have to paddle fast away and don't look back. And if they look back, then the fish would run away. And so they do that. The brothers are paddling really hard, and, uh, and he's pulling up islands. And eventually, one of the brothers can't take it anymore, and he looks back. They're kind of a Persephone thing, I guess. Uh, and the line snaps. And uh, that's the end of the Hawaiian Islands. Ah. They, they, they would have gotten more. Huh. Uh, and I looked it up. There, there are eight main Hawaiian Islands, but 
There are 137 total, uh, going all the way past Midway. The the chain is very long. Uh, geologically, there's a uh, there's a hot spot under the water, and the tectonic plates move, but that hot spot stays where it is. So it keeps, the volcanoes keep moving in a line and create this long line of volcanic islands. But the older they are, the more they've eroded. So the big island is the newest and it's still active. Mm-hmm. And as oh. as it goes away from that hot spot, it's been eroded more and more and they get smaller and smaller. Zoe, I saw the volcanoes on the big island. That's awesome. Yeah, when I, I was a teenager. to go back to Hawaii because I was so young when we went that I don't really remember it. I think that's the last time I scuba dived yeah. is when we were there when Zori was a little kid. And I saw, and I, I got to dive with a um, th- this big sea turtle that came right up to me. Oh, it wow. It was so nice. Uh, so that's Hawaii. Um, in the Tongan tradition, he again, he, he pulled up islands, but it's, it's separate. He pulled up the coral islands with his hook. Uh, the volcanic islands fell down from the heavens. That was in uh-huh. Maui. But okay. uh, so they're separate. They're different types of islands in Tonga. Um, so that that's stories about him pulling up islands. Also, he slowed the sun mm. or regulated the sun uh, and made it compatible with agriculture. Uh, in the Maori tradition, the sun used to go too fast. Uh, and Maui and his brothers took a magic jawbone and some rope uh, east to where Tamanuetera, the sun god, slept. Uh, and hearing the start of this story, I absolutely thought, okay, tie the jawbone to the rope, lasso the sun god, and pull to slow him down. Nope, that's not what happened. <laughs> that's what I thought you were going to say too. Yeah, it seems like it, right? Based on, you know, we're, 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 being, we're being MacGyver here. We know what we have to work with, <laughs> and we know what we want to accomplish, and that seems like the way, but no, no. Uh, he made a snare out of the rope and hid behind oh. a wall of clay that he built. They caught the sun god in the noose and Maui beat him with the jawbone <laughs> until wait. he agreed to mo- to go more slowly across the sky. That's how they... I love that. Thinking I mean, that's, outside the box, Mr. Maui. I don't know. That's the, that's the default solution. You have, you have a hammer and some nails and you need to build a house. What do you do? I hammer hit a dude knows until how to build a house a with a hammer until he agrees to build the house. <laughs> well, maybe they didn't use um, whatever rope and jawbones to hook things. Maybe they used it to hit things and they use rope to make snares. And so that's why. Maybe. I use rope and jawbones to hit things. <laughs> to, to, no, to, to, uh, to grab the sun god. To, to grab people. the sun god and make him go slower. In... Uh, the Hawaiian tradition, the sun was erratic and unpredictable, making it hard to farm. Maui made snares from his hair to trap the sun god and make it move more regularly. His in, beautiful hair. Yep. In Tahiti, Maui was a priest uh, working at the Malae, the sacred place, and the sun was getting low uh, and his work was unfinished for the day. So he took hold of the hihi, the sun's rays, and stopped it for a while. I guess... Somehow he could hold it with one hand and work with the mm-hmm. other hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very strong. Yeah. Strong man. Um, so. Maybe there's... he worked with his feet. <laughs> yeah, there we Maybe go. Maybe so. Or catch the sun rays and then step on them, freeing your hands. Yeah, hold it down. Work. I'm glad we're unpacking how this would really work. 
Um, so finally, uh, stories of his death. What? Yep. No. Yep. There are stories of Maui's death. No, I don't want Maui to be dead. What does dead mean? It was a die? heroic death. Okay. Uh, at least an attempt to be heroic. He died for people, which were the people he lived for. Um, as the he, he died as a result of being a trickster. He wanted to make mankind immortal. So a uh, classic blunder. Yeah, this is a fun one. Uh, he went to Hine Nui Tepo, uh, changed into a worm. Hine Nui Tepo is a was a goddess, changed into a worm and crawled into her vagina. <laughs> her oh, what? She he did. Her vagina. It sounds like you said vagina, <laughs> like the place in Canada. Is there I'm a place sorry. in Canada called Virgin <laughs> Sorry. I haven't heard of that place. I'm dying over this story right now. Please oh go my on. Oh my yeah. God. Now I need to know. You said heroic. Well, he's doing this to try to make people immortal, okay? <laughs> the idea being Falling. that her heart holds the key to immortality. He's going to steal her well, heart. That's how Wait, he, he gets, to get there. there. I mean, that's what they always say. The way to a woman's heart is through... <laughs> <laughs> God. Yep. Um, the plan. He doesn't just try to woo her or hit her with a jawbone. Or, nope. I don't know, okay. crawl in her mouth or her ear or something. All right. Well, the plan is to crawl out her mouth while she's sleeping. That's how that's how he's going to get out. Oh All right, gosh. so clearly he can't go in the same way. But he never gets that far. <laughs> oh, no. He because never gets that far. Because that's not how anatomy works. <laughs> oh, no, this is totally accurate to how anatomy works. <laughs> Because he is crushed by the obsidian teeth in her vagina. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. Sorry, Maui, but I'm pro um, vagina, vagina dentata. dentata. Now, there are other stories that have him going into and out of her mouth and being chomped in half by obsidian teeth in her mouth. Which makes... But that's not But you knew that we were going to like this story. one. <laughs> What's her name? Thrilled. Her name is Hine Nui Tepo. Awesome. Why was this not in the Disney movie is what I'm going to ask. <laughs> because that is an amazing story that I think should have been included in his little rap song about things he did. It was originally in the movie, <laughs> but they couldn't reconcile that with the fact that he needs to be alive for the movie. Yeah, that would be the big problem with telling that story. And so he gets eaten by her um, obsidian Vigine. teeth. Yep. <laughs> And he dies, and that's the end of the story. Aww. You're like, and? And well, what happens after he dies? Yeah, I mean, what is this? What's the symbolism? What is she the goddess of? Um, like immortality? Immor- given immortality to humans? Let me see. Well, I mean, I it's mean, a classic. It's like a Promethean. Like, yeah, you, there's a you lot of Prometheus a little in this. Hinanui Tepo means great woman of the night, mm-hmm. a goddess mm-hmm. of night. Mm. Well, I mean, sometimes the night and does she, just chomp you up. She receives the spirits of humans when they die. Oh, so she, so, so take his... her heart, and she can't receive the spirits, and you live forever, maybe. Okay, but but then he's dem like he's not fully a god; he's a demigod, so he can die. And yeah. so then that's where who is his he godly parent? Uh, it, well, I, Dad said Hine at one point, and yeah. there's different stories because Hine is also his wife in some stories. It's you know kind of. 
That's fair. There's a lot right. of mythologies of like brother, sister, husband, wife, gods, and stuff like well, that. Well, more just that in by... some places it was his sister, in some places it was his wife. Not yeah, that he was both sense. sister and wife. Right. Just like all of these, all these stories have lots of details that differ from place to place, and that's another one. Right. Okay. So, the depiction of Maui in Moana uh, is not without controversy. So the biggest one, the one most called out was Maui's weight. Right. Uh, he's not supposed to be obese. He's supposed to be lean and muscular, most often depicted as a lithe teenager on the verge of manhood. Is um, want to make him more like the rock, maybe? Yeah. Well, now, or more... to me, you, I, I think I could sort of forgive the age thing because in the movie, they go out of the way to... to for, he talks about all of his accomplishments and they're in the past and he's been kind of retired for a while. So maybe he... Maybe it's been some years, and he's not a teenager anymore. And they he's don't an want anyone like thinking that he Shipping could get them. with Moana because this is not about romance. And if uh, there's that's a teen a good point boy too. there with her. Yeah. Um, but also, obesity is a stereotype of Pacific Islanders. Um, mm. uh, the Oceanic Story Trust says that they they tried to emulate the body of the strongest strongman competitors. Uh, they weren't going for obese. They were going for the strongest people they could find. Yeah, it seems muscular. Uh, I mean, overweight, but muscular. You yeah. Know? It, it, kept, it kept going. But it's just not what Maui's supposed to look yeah. like. And you don't have to, be, if you're magical, you don't have to be, mm-hmm. have the body of the strongest man. Like, you don't have to say like, oh, uh, Athena was supposed to be like this, so we need to make her the strongest looking woman. Like, you know, if they're magical or... Right deities they can have a variety of body shapes yeah. and it's the the godlike powers that make them so powerful yeah there's and, no and, amount of muscles you can have that let you pull up an island right oh no <laughs> <laughs> i feel like a few more weeks in the gym uh, and, and he was smaller to begin with and they kept iterating through and the oceanic story trust kept adding mass to him um uh, because when they when they saw it animated, they're like, you don't look at this guy and instantly say, now that's a guy that's super duper strong. And they kept, they kept adding hair and mass to his body. Um, at first he was bald, like the rock. He, he looked more like the rock. Um, and they, they added hair slowly uh, until he had this, this long hair that he ends up with in the movie. Yeah, I, I heard that the uh, the hair was very important because it's kind of a Samson Delilah type of thing. The, there's a lot of mana in his hair. And so when they originally had him be bald like the rock, um, Polynesian folks were like, what? Like, that's not it at all. Where's his hair? He has to have hair. And so they put a lot of hair on, like a ton. And then the people were, they like <laughs> I heard, what I read was that they kind of laughed, but they're like, Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> that is a lot of hair. And we think it, it really shows a lot of More mana. mana. And that's a way, I guess, you know, having the muscles was trying to show visually right off the bat, hey, this guy's really strong. Like so having, you don't have to. Like how having a lot of hair would show mana. Yeah. They wanted a character that people would see and at a glance see godly strength. But it's like in things in... um. But in like depictions of Hercules, like he's usually muscular, but they don't need to find a bodybuilder type 
for us to right. believe Her- that Hercules is strong. Right. Hercules just has like big a big like pecs. like a V shape, an upside down triangle type of look. Well, the Rock literally played Hercules, so look at his body. <laughs> well, right. Uh, okay, so now attitude. Uh, I, I touched on this, that Maui is not comedic or frivolous. He's a trickster, but a serious trickster. Uh, and maybe white people have no practical experience in depicting a serious, noble, heroic trickster. Mm. Um, right, it has to you know, be like we kind have, of cocky. Uh, and... We have Loki, we have Autolycus. None of them are heroic and serious. They have different attributes. Maybe they just couldn't do it, couldn't write it, or maybe when they wrote it, it didn't test well. Uh, I, I don't have information on how that went. I mean, I, I doubt they wrote it and it didn't test well because so much of the movie is his character. They didn't rewrite the whole movie and reanimate everything and write new songs and all that. They, they did this to begin with. They, they wanted to do it this way. Um, and then also the intelligence. It's not clear in the movie that Maui is highly intelligent. And he's supposed to be. Uh, the final thing I have, the final mistake that Disney clearly made, and this absolutely could have been rethought and undone, uh, was the uh, the Maui Halloween costume. Oh, yeah. What? Um, what's the? I've never seen one. What's the well, Maui Halloween costume? Maui's clothes in the movie are basically a grass skirt and a necklace. Mm-hmm. That's that's what he wears. The rest of him is just, just his him, body. his skin and his tattoos. Um, so to make a Halloween costume that looked like him, they made a full body suit with the tattoos, with the brown skin. Ooh, so there might and, be like uh, white little kids walking around with brown skin yep, and tattoos. Brown skin and That's tattoos. And so good. you run into uh, accusations of, of, of brown face. Yeah. And then and the tattoos. Uh, only people with with physical or spiritual connection to Polynesians should have them, and then the tattoos should be unique, and uh, that that makes them antithetical to printing on a costume and having everyone wear the same exact. Yeah, tattoos. it's like really not getting the sacredness of any of this, of yeah. the fact that he is a demigod to them, or the tattoos, or any or any of it. Yeah, and then brown face. Yeah. Yeah, and, and okay, so maybe just having the, uh, uh, the the parts that cover the naughty bits and the necklace, maybe that doesn't make for a good costume. Maybe Maui doesn't make a good costume, and you don't have to have that for every character if it's inappropriate. Well, they took it down. Af- after the bad feedback, they took it away. Yeah. So that's good. And I don't, that's good. And that's the end of my story. All right. Just like the end of Maui's story, it ends with being chopped <laughs> in half. Swallowed up. <laughs> Munched upon. That was such a um, surprise story, and I like it. Me yep. too. It really was a surprise when he taught people to rub sticks together to make fire. <laughs> Making that well, fire. I have, um, along with my usual dose of little trivia facts, which are weirder because this is an animated movie, so there's not a ton of like, oh, man, wasn't it crazy when... You know, when the like actors the got together and they all got stunt. sick, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, True story. The, the The visuals are animated, but the uh, when they did the voices, that's live action. That's live action, <laughs> man. Um, so, uh, along with a couple of those notes, I'm actually going to talk about the music um, because mm. this is a beautifully scored show. 
and I, I listened love to it yesterday. So was, was anybody famous involved with the music in any way? Oh, um, hmm, I don't know. Uh, Mark Mancina, composer of lots of films and shows like Speed, Bad Boys, Twister, Tarzan, Criminal Minds, Brother Bear, and more. So just the most random collection of things. <laughs> um, he was like the veteran that they brought in um it was and a trifecta with Phil Collins at least a couple times <laughs> it was it was a trifecta um so it was this Mark Mancina it was Lin-Manuel Miranda who was pulled into this project before Hamilton um wow Hamilton was like in the works like he had pitched it but it had wow. not become a show yet and th there's a quote from someone being like he told us what it was about and I was like Oh, great. Then we'll have him to ourselves because that's not going to get picked up. Um, <laughs> and then he had to do like a ton of the work, like from literally calling and FaceTiming him from like the dressing room during Hamilton. Um, wow. But he signed on to this project first. Um, so it was it was those two. And then it was this man called Opataya Fawai, um from and, and his band called Tevaka. Um and they're a contemporary Polynesian band. Um, and so so the three of them worked together to create the music. So um, on Lin-Manuel Miranda's side, he was like inspired to start writing music in some ways by The Little Mermaid. Um, he said like the song Under the Sea, like that really got him. He'd never heard anything like that in a Disney movie before. And it made him want to start writing and and he got this job um with ron clements and john musker who are the co-directors and they did the little mermaid and they did aladdin and they did hercules um and so he like got to work with them who he you know as a, as a child was inspired by Aww. um and he got this job the same day he found out he was going to be a father so very good day for him i assume um yeah but he also mentioned the story trust. Um, so he he said like they're they show every screening and play every song for these people to make sure it got they got it right. The, the quote he said um, to make sure we weren't like okay here's some stuff from this culture and here's a movie, but really making sure the themes of the movie resonated with that part of the world. Um, yeah, I did hear that they pushed back at different times. They were saying like no, you would never wear wear red in the water like that. Mm -hmm. No, you would like. This, this, these houses should look like this. No, you wouldn't juggle coconuts because they're very um, sacred. So there was a, a pushback from the the Oceanic Story Trust on on some cases, at least. Right. Well, um, Opataya was he was born in Samoa, um, and he immigrated to New Zealand, and he started this band Tevaka, who are now like one of they're known as one of the south pacific's most influential cultural and musical ambassadors so they're like a really big deal um i was listening to them uh the other beautiful day. he said like i was born in samoa in a hut um and his like journey to be here is is really really cool um he ended up well so so he was writing with tavaka before moana um and one of the things he did uh to kind of learn he, he like Tavaka tells a lot of stories of like his seafaring ancestors. So he said that he would 
go and visit all the different communities in the South Pacific and find the oldest people that he could and get them to tell him their stories so he could write music about it. And that was kind of wow. why he made the band to tour the world and to tell the stories that he learned. Um, and so he signed on for Moana um, and he he wrote like most of the music so he wrote we know the way on the plane ride home that's... from burbank when he was first Aww. right after he was first introduced to the project and then Lin -Manuel Miranda one. added the english lyrics but mm -hmm. that's him singing on it too i think um yes yeah. yeah and i mean it's it's beautiful here's something he said about that song in particular um we know the way means so much to me because it matched the power and the confidence that these ancestors had when they sailed the seas you can't help but be taken when you hear that song with the animation. I think people who are from the South Pacific will really feel a sense of pride rise up when we hear this song. We, we do feel like we're representing the South Pacific. So when we went to record at Warner Brothers Studio in Burbank, it felt like we're taking our ancestors with us. Um, and I'm really, really glad that like, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda is an incredible artist and musician, but I'm really glad that it was um, spearheaded or, you know, uh, strongly uh led by yeah by actual south pacific um indigenous artists well you know that's my favorite song is we know the way and yeah i was listening to the moana soundtrack last night i guess when i was cooking yeah, was dinner and i was like i'm not gonna cry when that song comes on <laughs> I, I, i'm not even watching the movie i'm not gonna Foolish. cry and then i was like i don't know what it is i'm like it's... this gets me in some weird way where i always <laughs> feel like i'm gonna cry when it's i that hear meme. it listen to moana try not to cry <laughs> cry a lot well he went with his wife julie who's also the manager of the band and they went um to the secluded area in new zealand called waihi and wrote and it was just it had no electricity it had just like a said it had a river running through it lots of animals running around and just a log drum and so he just like wrote a ton of songs in nature um and for like three to four months uh and it it was all like happening very fast because it was a movie but um they went on this almost like wilderness retreat and just wrote and wrote and i have some really interesting facts about like how they made this music because um here's something that julie Fawahi said um south pacific music originally has no melodies there are a lot of chants and rhythms which makes it very different um so what they did because they were like trying to draw on like these original south pacific sounds but it was there aren't like necessarily just traditional melodies to draw on it's a lot more rhythm they used the rhythm and the sound of different pacific languages like samoan tokelauan oh. and tuvaluan um, and the sound and the rhythm of those languages influence the song rhythms oh, um, wow. to try to find a way to like make it work with like these songs had to have melodies. Um, but he said that the three elements um, that Obataya really pushed were chants, lots of drums and the telling of the stories of ancient Polynesia. Um, like drums, percussions and keys. And like that's the stuff that comes from that's like the ancestral stuff not any kind of like melody um yeah that's awesome that's really cool his 
his thing his like instrument of choice um is just a a box or a wooden floor and he, he said whenever we get together with lynn or mark and they say do something with the song i always ask for a box um because mm -hmm. he believed that you can really find the soul of a tune just by feeling on a box um and wow. from there we expand he said um so it was very rooted in in rhythm the rhythm of the languages um the the percussion um which is you can really you can tell when you're listening to it. i mean it has beautiful melodies but it, it makes a lot of sense now that i know that it's like grounded in chant and percussion and he was saying like you hear a lot of like mm, um yeah a lot I'm of like non-verbal yeah um so now i want to listen to the soundtrack again i know um, i started yesterday but it's <laughs> so good so it was that and then like lynn on some of the english lyrics which are also beautiful and like so many people that worked with lynn manuel miranda like like um chris jackson who he was in in the heights he was in hamilton um and he was in this and it's funny because all the um the demos i don't know if dear listeners you should please listen to the demos for moana because it is lynn manuel miranda and chris jackson and philippa sue on them all just um I think on the extended edition on Spotify that are so fun as you see them like try to figure out the harmonies and and all of that. The uh, first draft of the screenplay, though, I think this is a fun fact. I don't know if you guys knew this. The first draft of this screenplay for Moana was written by Taika Waititi. Mm -hmm. um, I did know. And there's <laughs> because some I have the... to keep up on all of the Taika stuff. Right. There's Taika verse <laughs> people in this, too. Um, I mean, there's Jermaine Clements, um, and there's, oh, the woman that was also in Thor Ragnarok that he has in, like, every project who's super Right, cool. she was also in Hunt for the Wilder right. People, and... Yeah, Rachel House, that's her, right? Yeah, so, so Jermaine Clements and Rachel House from the kind of, like, New Zealand actor squad that are, are kind of involved with Taika Waititi and what we do in the shadows and all, all of that kind of group. Yeah, she's, um, um she's Maori descent yeah all the at least main characters maybe yeah every main cast member is of polynesian descent except for alan tudyk who plays uh hey hey the the chicken actually the guy who did the voice of um the chief moana's dad mm -hmm. is the same guy who plays uh boba fett now in mandalorian oh is that that's that the original actor. guy who played boba fett right right that's the same actor who did the voice of cool. Moana's dad. That. Well, original. Well, <laughs> well, let me tell you a few other non-musical fun facts. Um, there were some, you know, like tributes in this movie. Tamatoa was a tribute to David Bowie. Um, yeah, you can the, totally. Oh yeah, tell. and Jermaine Clement <laughs> lives it up in that role. I, I mean, mean he sounds it's, it sounds oh, like yeah. a Bowie song. So good. Um, and the Kakamura chase sequence uh, was inspired by Mad Max Fury Road, mm -hmm. which you can also totally tell. Um, yes. And I love it because that's the kind of thing that like probably most like seven-year-olds who are watching this haven't seen Fury Road, but that one's in there for, <laughs> for the older kids. Um, and there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of like symbology and that that were drawn from different Polynesian cultures so like the spiral that's on the necklace and on the sail of her boat uh 
is I don't want to pronounce this wrong, but Kore, a uh, K O R E, um, and it, it it is like a symbology of an unfurling fern, um, and so it's like new life and new beginnings and hope and a new start and rejuvenation and all of that, and it's a double spiral, which also means kinship and belonging. So that's like what's that's on the beautiful. sail of her ship. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, her island is Motonui, and Moto as island and Nui is big. Um, Teka means the fiery, and Tefiti means the shiny or shining. Um, <laughs> shiny. It's pretty on the nose, but it works. Um, and then you know when she uh, she gets uh, this like abrasion on her foot after she gets like her first try going out that doesn't quite work. Um, I think that's when it happens. Uh, <laughs> the abrasion is in the shape of uh, the Hawaiian Island Archipelago. Oh, so there's a lot wow. of cute little yeah, colors I didn't there. notice that. I mean, and since it's a Disney movie, they also just have like Sven the Reindeer is in a, a frame, and like just a bunch of stuff from other Disney movies pops up in the animation. I think the, the moment where she like sits up um, is like just the exact same animation as Anna sitting up out of bed in a Frozen. But you know that kind of trivia is is fun and you can look it up but i won't tell you all of it here um that is that is most of my stuff i had to tell you guys i just love the music of this of this movie it's so thanks for telling me about it it's so beautiful all right well that was our inspired by true events and some mythology of uh of moana i hope you enjoyed and we will be coming at you with a mini-sode next week. That sounds very aggressive. Coming right really at you. Coming, coming for you. coming at me. <laughs> We're not just going to, like, sidle up. Oh, hey, um, Mom. Hmm. What, uh, do we have another little fake one or no? Nope. Fake That's one. the face of a woman um, that did not prepare anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I could talk about how well do we trust our true, abilities to improv? <laughs> I, I could talk about the true events that inspired the the movie Battlefield Earth, the Scientology inspired movie starring John Travolta as a very tall alien with dreadlocks, maybe, um, and and how it's inspired by. The concept that um, aliens came to Earth inside um, modern-day jets, even though it was in the the past before humans really existed, and they crashed into a volcano, and uh, henceforth were not able to anymore see their leader, uh, the clam-like Xenu. Usually we do fake stuff for this, but this is actually what Scientologists this, believe, right? No. This is just straight up what Scientologists believe. This is believe. absolutely made up, and you're just those two things with us. are not mutually. She's making this stuff up. <laughs> Exclusive. I don't believe a word of this. You don't believe me that that's what it's about? I think you're just making this up. If well, I thought that was true, I probably wouldn't tell someone until they were way too deep into my pyramid scheme to. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> to question you know what? It. I don't want to be considered a suppressive person, so I'm not going to talk anymore about this. But if you want to know about it, go online and search. Read Going Clear. Clambake. (laughs) Or or Xenu.net. It was Operation Clambake. Not that we know anything about this. 
And I did just make that up. Totally fake. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally yeah. fake. Mm-hmm. Also, mm. mom, do you have anything to plug? Do I? I don't know. Do either of you have anything to plug? No, the I don't Rock have anything to plug. The Rock doesn't care if you have anything to plug. <laughs> well done. Well done, child. Sorry, I just needed to do a Rock bit like once. <laughs> I'm fine with that. There you go. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear Brian sing a lovely song. Like Film Fam, inspired by true events? Subscribe to hear more stories that inspired our favorite films. For photos and links from the show and other shenanigans, follow us on Instagram at FilmFamPodcast, on Twitter at FilmFam underscore podcast, or on Facebook at FilmFam inspired by true events. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, we never need corrections. Oh gosh, I bet we do. I bet we do. Uh, corrections or films whose inspiration you would like us to explore, you can email us at FilmFamPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you all for listening. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Got chaotic near the end there. <laughs> but chaotic good. Hey, everybody. This is Your Tattoo by Jonathan Colton. Black and blue. Every time I lean into you, you think the words don't mean what they do. Killing me so slow So it's home instead Memorize your scars in the bed Making me see stars in my head Baby, you don't know One rough summer and too much sun The lines get blurry and the colors run And the red bleeds out with the blue Secret in the shape of the way it hurt Planning an escape from beneath your shirt Do you know why I love your tattoo? Your tattoo Your tattoo Sparks of wire in the air Everything on fire everywhere Punishment and crime Black and white It's keeping me up late every night Thinking I can't wait But I might Everything in time Gray gives way to the deepest black Promises you made and can't take back When you look too long You see through over on the edge where the ink is thin Coming up close against your skin Do you know why I love your tattoo? Your tattoo Your tattoo